Well, welcome to DCARB Connects podcast, and I'm really excited to be talking with Tara Karimi from Semvita, or more specifically, the co-founder and chief technology officer of Semvita. So hello, Tara. Maybe you could kick off with just give us a little bit of a, a sense of you and the business of Semvita, and then we'll we'll go from there. Hi, Alex. Thank you so much for the introduction and having me today. Um, yeah, I am Tara Karimi. I am the co-founder and uh, CTO at Zambita. We are a biotechnology company based in Houston, Texas, and our focus is on carbon dioxide utilization. Our mission is the decarbonization of heavy industries, including energy, mining, and space. And uh, our lab is located at uh, Johnson & Johnson Innovation Center at Texas Medical Center of Houston. Um, and we work with uh, energy companies um, to solve their carbon dioxide emission problem. Great. Okay. And then I know, Tom, well, you can tell the audience a little bit more about the structure of your team, but my route into you is actually via your brother, who is your co-founder. So tell us a little about Moji's background as well as yours and what has brought you both to this kind of point in time. Sure, absolutely. So we are from two different worlds, uh, uh, and we never thought at some point of our life we work together, but it happened naturally. So my background education is in uh, biotechnology, and my co-founder background is in energy industry. So about uh, myself, uh, I initially uh, finished my PhD in biochemistry, and I always have been very fascinated about the bio-inspired technologies. And for instance, how um, can we learn from natural processes and genetic pathways that regulate these processes and then we replicate them in a synthetic way using synthetic biology tools um, in our real life to address um, problems in our real life. Before we start uh, Semvita, I spent about 10 years of my career on genetic uh, programming of stem cells and microorganisms uh, for application in pharmaceutics. I was working at Medical Center of Houston, and being in Houston, um, which is a hub, of, uh, a hub for energy industry and also a space, gave me this opportunity to connect with uh, experts uh, in, in other industries. And it helped me to connect the dots and think about how can we use um, current methods uh, that are available in biotechnology um, and we apply them for other industries, not limited to pharmaceutics and biotech, but we apply them for um, other industries. What's Moji's background and then how did this conversation emerged because I can tell you and I'm sure many listeners will feel the same that me and my brother are never going to go into business together we can love each other as family but that's not going to be our gift to the world so tell us a bit about how that emerged in some ways we, we both of us were passionate about science and about um, climate and how to help with climate but we didn't know how we can do something uh, together. And I think that the story starts when uh, Moji was working in a company called Biota, and they were using DNA sequencing to define a map of microbiome in subsurface. And the purpose was to um, define the source of oil in different reservoirs and how they are connected together. And uh, at the time, um, he was working in Houston. I was working in Medical Center of Houston as well. And uh, it was a start point for us to see how we can apply um, 
currently available um, in advanced methods of biotechnology for other industries. And, uh, but we know that we have a lot of information about the subsurface microbe just by, by using the DNA sequencing, but we thought about it, how we can use this information uh, for, to address more, um, more challenging problems in energy industry. And uh, uh, we thought uh, about the carbon dioxide emission as a major problem. And uh, because we know that all energy companies, they, they have a lot of carbon dioxide emission. And uh, if, if we want to address carbon dioxide problem, uh, we need to ask, him, ask them to join um, to the movement. And it was the start point for us to develop a technology um, that could convert carbon dioxide to products that energy companies or petrochemical companies, they produce. And this way we, um, we generate value for them. And on the other side also, uh, we capture carbon dioxide and we bring the carbon dioxide emission to a lower level. And, uh, and we both of us were very passionate about it because we saw we have the, the network, we have the expertise in, in, in two different areas, and, uh, and then we started the company together. So I'm going to pick up on, on that phrase you've used, which is you, know, you describe the technology as nature-inspired. Um, maybe you can sort of give us a little, ex a little kind of explanation of what does that mean in practice? So perhaps we'll, we'll kind of pick on that area of bioethylene that you're involved in. Like, what does it mean to create bioethylene via a nature-inspired technology? Perhaps you could just give us an, an overview for now. We'll come back to this a bit more later on. Sure. So um, uh, like you mentioned, our technology is uh, um, nature-inspired, uh, which means, for instance, uh, for uh, one of the products we, that uh, is bioethylene, we, um, we identified a, a genetic a, a, an enzyme in plants uh, that it produces ethylene. So uh, in, in general, our technology mimics photosynthesis. Um, we know that during photosynthesis, plants uh, are able to capture sunlight and carbon dioxide and uh, produce a wide variety of products, including nutrients, um, chemical intermediates and, um, for example, intermediates of uh, uh, polymers uh, and um, or organic acid, aldehydes, wide variety of products can be produced by um, just uh, during the natural processes. And, uh, and back to my background education in biochemistry, I, I'll get used to use a lot of bioinformatic tools to um, to define the genetic pathways that are related to different products. So uh, when we talk with our customers, we ask them um, if they want to convert carbon dioxide to a product, uh, what is the product of interest? And, um, and so for instance, for the bioethylene projects, we talked with Occidental Petroleum um, and uh, they asked us to uh, they, they ask us to define a pathway for ethylene production. And the reason is that uh, Occidental Petroleum is the largest producer of VCM um, uh, or uh, vinyl chloride monomer in North America. And uh, for production of VCM, they, they use ethylene. And um, also Oxy uh, or Occidental Petroleum, uh, they are very active on carbon dioxide capture. 
So they capture carbon dioxide and then they store it in subsurface. And uh, they have um, carbon dioxide and also on the other side because they, they have the downstream processes uh, for production of uh, chemicals, they, um, they have um, chemical department as well. So we, we have been able to um, communicate with them and uh, use carbon dioxide to produce ethylene. And uh, so about our technology and how it works, um, we use, uh, like I mentioned, we use uh, methods of bioinformatics to define the genetic pathways that are able to, for instance, produce ethylene. We define the genetic pathways, and then we synthesize those uh, genes um, uh, and DNA fragments, and then we apply tools such as CRISPR-Cas technology and we integrate this gene to a, a favorite microorganism. For instance, in this case, we used a photosynthetic microorganism, a cyanobacteria, and, uh, and we engineered that uh, um, microorganism. Now, we have, a, uh, we have a cyanobacteria that is able to capture carbon dioxide from one side and then produce ethylene from the other side. And, uh, uh, and after that, we developed different uh, strains um, uh, for different purposes. Uh, but this, uh, this just helped us to utilize carbon dioxide and produce valuable products that, uh, that generate even revenue uh, for our customers. For instance, uh, in the case of bioethylene, uh, we did the technoeconomical assessment, and uh, we know that our product is 30% cheaper than the current uh, price of ethylene in the market. This combination of hard tech and then real analytic kind of digital investigation, it really kind of flips on its head this assumption that all of the solutions to decarbonisation are necessarily going to be cost incurring, and it's all about cost, and it's not about a kind of business model opportunity and yet what you're talking about is kind of merging together sector knowledge uh, fields of science and producing something that creates tangible value from a waste product I mean I think yeah that's a fascinating story thank you Alex and, and you know it's very important for the commercialization if we want to really take care of the carbon dioxide emission we need to make it large. We need to commercialize it. And to make it commercial, we need to make it viable. And for that, we need to uh, consider all of the costs and make sure that uh, not only it's not a cost for the client, but it makes revenue for them. So then it's, uh, it's more practical. And also definitely they will get uh, uh, benefits of the tax credit um, and that helps also, but from the beginning, we just think about the, the making revenue by, by product by itself. And so could this, this is, I mean, presumably this is something you could do direct for, for any industrial. It doesn't have to be, you know, at the source of sequestration, you know, it doesn't have to be the, the, the service of capturing carbon. It could, could this be done direct at the site of an industrial at the moment, or what's the what's the kind of thinking around that as a business model? Uh, yes, it, it's possible to do it uh, in different locations and using different uh, sources of carbon dioxide. It can be also from the direct carbon dioxide capture. Um, um, the good thing about these uh, uh, microbes is that they don't need pure carbon dioxide. 
So even um, at the, the concentration of the three to 5% carbon dioxide, they can grow and, um, and, and produce the product that we engineered them. Um, and another advantage of these microbes is that when we culture them in the bioreactor, all of the reactions happen at ambient temperature and pressure. So the whole process by itself is very energy effective compared to a lot of um, chemical processes that the, react the, the reactions can happen at um, high temperature, high pressure, and the process by itself make a lot of emission. But because our processes are um, happening at uh, ambient temperature and pressure, uh, it's very energy uh, effective. And also this will help to decrease the cost. Mm. Yeah, there's plenty of examples of, of other kind of different types of technologies and solution where actually the, the, the process itself kind of adds to the problem. I mean, yes, it, I don't know, hydrogen is the one that comes to mind, isn't it, where people talk about the, the cost in terms of energy to produce the amount of hydrogen you'd need to create the fuel you'd need for it to be an industrial application. It's required really to, for any kind of technology that is related to the carbon dioxide utilization. I think that's very important to consider the, the carbon life cycle assessment as well um, to make sure that the process by itself doesn't make um, more carbon dioxide. So, and, and this is something that also we do all the time. We do carbon dioxide, um, carbon uh, life cycle assessment, and we measure how much energy we use during the process. And then based on that, how much um, carbon footprint would be um, uh, related to this process. And we compare it with the, with the amount of carbon dioxide that we utilize. And we make sure that this is um, neutral or negative. And in most of our processes, it's negative. You mentioned at the start that you're based in Houston. And obviously, anyone in the US will know that Houston is more than oil and gas. But for some people outside the States, perhaps that's its major connotation is still that it's the energy city in the States. But clearly, as well as energy, there are many other uh, growing kind of uh, technology communities coming coming to Houston and grow in developing there. So, yeah, tell us a bit about Houston as part of your story. How how does being based there uh, add to to you know to your experience? Add to what you're doing? Uh, sure. Yeah, uh, I think I have been lucky working in um, in Houston in medical center because, um, like you mentioned, Houston um, is a hub for um, uh, different industries. Uh, three major industries in Houston are uh, medical and biotechnology. Houston has the largest medical center on planet, and and I had the chance to. Um, work with the best professors and uh, scientists in the medical center during uh, my education, during my postdoc research. And, uh, and then also Houston is the hub for energy um, energy companies. And, 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 and also Houston, in Houston, we have Johnson Space, Station, uh, Space uh, Center um, of NASA. And again, I had a chance to um, attending a lot of uh, space uh, conferences and um, and actually one of our um, advisors in San Vita is uh, from um, uh, from NASA. He is uh, Tim Copra. He is um, 
the, the former uh, NASA's um, astronaut, and he helped us a lot also learning about a space industry. And one of the interesting things that I learned from um, a space is that in a space, um, carbon dioxide is considered as a valuable resource um, because um, taking material to a space is very expensive. And uh, so because of that, um, in a space, all of the resources will recycled. And uh, carbon dioxide is considered as a valuable resource. And just this mindset helped me a lot to, um, uh, for, for solving uh, of carbon dioxide problems on Earth, because on Earth we consider carbon dioxide as a big problem. And, uh, but if we want to solve a problem, firstly, we need to get closer to it. We need to accept it and we need to think about the solution. And that was something that I really learned from um, a space industry. Again, this is the thing about your story and your background that I really find fascinating is that you've already talked about how you weave in the kind of, obviously, Modji had that uh, energy sector background, you bring biotechnology and that kind of the working at the Houston Medical Center, now we're weaving in this experience of working with the space sector. So, so let's focus on the space sector and just sort of tell me, you know, what, what is it? I know you have a couple of different projects in, in the space industry. So what is what do those projects tell you about how we could consider tackling our kind of on earth de decarbonization challenge? What, what is it that you're learning from their approach or from, from those projects? Uh, sure. So we have currently we have a project um, um, uh, with um, with a space agency at um, UAE uh, with Mohammed bin Rashid Space Center, and uh, in this this project is about the production of human life supplies in space. Um, and uh, then in this project we uh, we are focusing on conversion of carbon dioxide to biomolecules, um, including glucose, and we use these biomolecules uh, for biomanufacturing processes to produce um, nutrients um, in a space for long duration space missions. And um, so this area in a space is called in situ resource utilization. When we, when we use um, um, uh, resources that currently exist in a space to, um, to make the whole process more sustainable. And, uh, and, and then the goal of this project is that to apply it um, in, 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 in international space station and also for longer term space missions, uh, for instance, uh, for colonization in, in, in Mars. As uh, we know, like in Mars, 95% of the atmosphere is made of carbon dioxide. And um, this is a valuable resource because uh, uh, one of the reasons that um, Mars is a good place for colonization um, is that the, the existence of carbon, because um, everything, every, every living system is made of carbon, life is made of carbon. And if we want to think about the long-term um, um, colonization in, in a space, we need to be in a place that um, can regenerate the ingredients of life. And uh, carbon is uh, one of the major ingredients of life. Um, and then, um, so the, the, the goal is that to develop technologies that we could um, do in zito resource utilization using the uh, carbon dioxide and uh, 
yeah, and resources in, in Mars for longer term. And this is a very exciting project for us. Um, it's ongoing. We finished phase one of this project and we are moving forward to phase two. And uh, we hope uh, to send our system to International Space Station this year um, to test the system. So again, a kind of a different way. So in, in the kind of the, the kind of core Semvita products that, like ethylene that you've described, it's again, it's about how do we use CO2 in a different way for a different outcome rather than just seeing it as a problem, you know, seeing it as a, an opportunity. And again, in this, this example of working with the UAE, it's again, it's that kind of looking at CO2 with possibility as a mindset rather than, I don't know, rather than with a negative kind of, oh, it's just going to be a cost-based problem. It's, it's actually looking at, okay, but we can make stuff from this. And again, I guess that must lend that, that way of working and those processes that are being developed there, I'm sure must have other applications and, and lend themselves to the work you're doing in the energy sector and with, with industrials as well. Absolutely, and it, it, this, it's the same for the um, for our client in energy industry because uh, for a production of a lot of uh, um, a lot of uh, chemical um, intermediates, currently they are using the um, petroleum products or oil, um, and then during the process they convert it to the chemical, but. Um, the, the feedstock by itself, a lot of time is expensive, but if you change the feedstock with a product, uh, with, with carbon dioxide, basically um, you cut a, a huge amount of cost just because you change the feedstock. And, and then the rest of it is about the optimization of the process and make it, um, make it economical um, and uh, for the commercial scale. And this is what we really focus um, on the second part to make sure that um, the, the efficiency of the reactions is, um, uh, is enough for the commercialization. I think my, my final thing on, on this kind of weaving this narrative of your background and how it brings different ideas in Semvita is just, it just underlines the need for cross-fertilization across science, across technology to kind of find these solutions that are needed for an industrial transformation. I, to me, it's a fascinating example of, of why that's so important um, and the kind of interesting things, interesting experiences you've had and how they're lending themselves to the work you're doing now. You and I, where we overlap in life is in our focus on those hard to abate sectors, industrials, the companies that are really trying to move forward. You know, it's, it's challenging at this kind of early stage of decarbonisation to find routes, but, but you're that is your sweet spot as well. So you've, you've talked a little bit about the work that you do in creating valuable products from CO2, but I know you mentioned that it kind of starts with finding um, that genetic pathway, that kind of clue to how something could be reproduced. But then how do you, what, what happens from there? What is the actual manufacturing process that you, you have developed and, and how does that work? Sure. Um, yeah, that's a that's a very interesting uh, question. So after we in, we define a genetic pathway, we synthesize the the, the gene sequences. So the, the way that it works is that we currently by using the techniques of synthetic biology, we are able to program or reprogram a cell the same way that we can program a computer uh, using binary coding. We can program a cell for new functions 
using synthetic DNA that we design. So we are able to design a DNA sequence for a new function, and then we are able to integrate it into a cell um, in a specific location for a new function. And this gives us a, a, a huge amount of capacity and potential for um, addressing different types of problems. And uh, so this is the technology, but we apply it um, for a production of different types of products. So bioethylene is one of our products, but what we identify 30 different chemical intermediates um, or subunits of polymers that our clients are interested. After we define these pathways, when a customer um, wants to go to the next step and commercialization, then, um, then we synthesize the gene sequences and we integrate it into the microbes. And, um, and then we do a lot of analytical assays to make sure that the, the gene is integrated, for instance, DNA sequencing, protein analysis. Um, and the, and uh, when uh, we see the efficiency um, is high enough, we go to the next step from the test tube to uh, one liter bioreactors. Um, uh, and then from one liter bioreactor to um, 100 liter bioreactor and 1000 liter bioreactor. And during this process, we culture the cells and uh, then we let them to produce the product and we isolate the product and we purify it. And, uh, and then we do a lot of uh, technoeconomical assessment to make sure uh, that the, the, the production um, uh, is, um, is commercially viable uh, for larger scale. And after, um, after the validation of initial technoeconomical assessment, we go to the larger scale um, for, um, and, and from that point, we work with EPCs. Um, that they generate um, uh, very large scale bioreactors, um, like at the size of one million gallon bioreactor, and then uh, we move forward with the commercialization. And then for the commercialization, we work closely with our clients uh, to make sure that um, our system is uh, adaptable with their current infrastructure. Okay, and then you, you talked a little bit about um, that the kind of moving to scale in, and in any innovative technology, and we, we hear this a lot around decarbonisation, that, that this is the challenge, right? That to kind of get it from lab to pilot is one thing, from pilot to sort of approaching scale is another, but to really get it to full commercial scale is, is where the kind of the, the real, the big, the big challenges lie. So what, how, how do you think, how, how do you think Semvita will kind of develop moving forward? Like where do you, what sorts of processes or uh, ways of working do you think can you see coming that will allow you to to scale even further? Sure. Yeah, this area is a very multidisciplinary area and uh, it needs uh, several type of expertise. Um, so for instance, I mentioned we work on the biotechnology side of it, but um, it, it just uh, it's it just enough for the first step. But there are several steps that we need other expertise. And, uh, and then by that, we try to um, um, have a team with diverse expertise. For instance, we have um, in our team, uh, we have experts in biotechnology, bioinformatics, and then on the other side, we have experts in chemical engineering, process engineering uh, for the downstream processes and scale up. Um, and, uh, and working together, um, we try to complement each other 
Um, otherwise, it, it's it's very difficult to um, to go through all of these challenges because yeah, there there are several questions that at each step we need to consider them, and it's possible just through the the collaboration and teamwork. So thank you, thank you so much for sharing sharing the story of, of how you've got this far, and uh, we'll look forward to seeing seeing more growth. What's actually what what stage are you guys at at the moment in terms of um, scale up? Like uh, you you have I know you work closely with Oxy Low Carbon Ventures. Are there other others involved in 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 funding and sort of helping you scale at the moment? Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, firstly, Alex, uh, with your time. Uh, yeah, so we uh, currently, we finished phase one of our bioethylene projects. We are moving forward for phase two. And we have investors uh, from energy, like uh, Occidental is one of our investors. Also, uh, BHP, which is a mining company, is the largest mining company um, in the world. BHP also is our um, investor. And I didn't explain the mining part because it's uh, it's a completely <laughs> different story. But um, again, for the mining industry also, we have uh, processes to help with, with the lowering of uh, carbon dioxide emission. So because again, uh, all different heavy industries, they uh, their processes are energy intensive. And uh, we try to engineer microbes, for instance, for the uh, for the uh, biomining um, to help with the bioremediation and also bioleaching to decrease the the energy intensive processes. So yeah, BHP also is another investors of us, and we are um, at the, the stage of our um, Series A. We are getting close to finish our Series A. We have um, about uh, six other. Um, investors in the list and uh, because it's still it's on process we will release it later. Well good luck as you wrap up that series and really I'm just really looking forward to seeing where next for you and thank you so much thank you so much Tara for really giving me a good amount of time and talking me through your background and and where where the company is heading. Thank you so much I really appreciate uh, your time and giving me this opportunity thank you.